Children, when I was a, a boy, young boy, I don't remember how old I was, I'm going to guess and say I was probably around seven or eight, there was an incident that happened, and I don't remember what the details about what happened, but I uh, did something wrong. Again, I don't remember what it was. But I did something wrong, and I was having a, a, a kind of an argument, I believe, with my parents. I think that's what it was. Anyway, I was, I was not being a, a godly young boy. I wasn't a Christian back then, but I wasn't, I wasn't being an obedient child at that point. And at one point in the conversation, I said something that I knew I must never, ever say, but I said it anyway. Maybe your parents have said certain words to you, don't you ever say this to me, or to your mother, or whatever. Well, I knew I wasn't supposed to say this to my, and I can't even remember which parent it was I said it to, but I said the word, or the words, boy, that was a mistake, big mistake. I got, I got disciplined, I'll just put it that way, um, in a way that I never forgot. Because what I did, it was really disrespectful. And so, you know, it was, a, it was a, one of those things you, you remember. You know, it was a really extra bad sin is what I'm trying to tell you. Because I was extra disrespectful of my, my parents at that point. Don't ever do that, by the way. Take my word for it. Amaziah, the king that we're looking at today, did something extra bad. Now, in some ways, he wasn't quite as bad as his father, Joash. King Joash of Israel. I mean, of Judah, rather. Joash was worse. The text... Between uh, Second Kings and this text, it kind of makes it clear that Joash was a little bit worse than Amaziah. But Amaziah did a lot of bad things, especially in this last half of his life. And um, one of those things was particularly, it was like what I did with my parent when I, when I said that thing that I knew I wasn't supposed to say. Amaziah pull, pulled that stunt. It was just in a different form. Um, and it was just incredible that he did it. It's not incredible. He's a sinner, and sin makes you stupid. But uh, he, he was, boy, really bad. So we're, we'll get to that. So you look forward to that. We'll, I'll tell you about it toward the latter part of the, uh, actually, no, the, the first point, actually, of the sermon here. But be aware of that. And this is something, of course, you don't ever want to do to God, what, what Amaziah did to God, or something, anything like it. Well, who, uh, we are looking at the reign of Amaziah. We looked uh, last week as well. Uh, Amaziah is the son of King Joash. We already made that point. He is the grandson of King Ahaziah. Um, and Ahaziah was the um, daughter of... No, a son, rather. Never mind, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, he was the grandson of Ahaziah, and he was the seven greats, Great, 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 great grandson of King David, Amaziah is. And he reigned over the southern kingdom of Judah from the years approximately 796 B.C. to 767 B.C. before Christ. Well, unlike most of uh, the previous royal descendants of David that we've been looking at over the last few months, Amaziah doesn't fit neatly into the two uh, categories of description that we normally read of in the Kings and, and particularly in the Chronicles. And those two normal categories were those who did what was right in the sight of the Lord and those who did not. Well, Amaziah doesn't fit neatly into one of those two 
de- descriptions. His description is kind of an in-between one. It's found back in verse 2. We didn't read it today. But verse 2 says, And he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with his whole heart. Now the author of Kings, um, who the chronicler was had Kings in front of him when he was writing, it's very obvious, because uh, he just quotes him verbatim pretty regularly. And the, but he wrote uh, a couple hundred years after the writer of Kings was writing. But anyway, the writer of the Kings, he said in his account of this, of Amaziah's life, that Amaziah did write in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David, his father, which really means ancestor, can be translated ancestor as well as father. Yet not like David. Well, the chronicler clarifies what the writer of the Kings meant when he said, yet not like David, by his saying, not with his whole heart. David, of course, was a man after God's own heart. He's saying, Amaziah is not like David. Well, the chronicler and the Holy Spirit, who's speaking through the chronicler, divides Amaziah's reign into two distinct periods. The first period, which we examined last week, uh, described the earlier portion of his reign when he served the Lord, but only in a half-hearted sort of way, as I just pointed out, or as uh, verse 2 just pointed out. Not like David. Well, the second portion of his reign, which we're looking at today, is a period during which Amaziah pretty consistently, was pretty consistently, I'm going to put it this way, covenantally unfaithful. Not totally, but pretty regularly, covenantally unfaithful. Not only was he not serving God with his own heart, but now he's getting pretty unfaithful, and particularly that one incident that I've alluded to with the children, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Did some pretty bad things. Before we look at that second portion of his reign, which starts in verse 14 and goes to the end of the chapter, I want to remind you of what happened prior to this point in in the account. So, some history here. A couple of years, a hundred, a couple of hundred years prior to this point in time that we're reading about here in chapter 25, a couple hundred years prior, King David had conquered the land of Edom which was uh, to Israel's southeast, Edom is located, modern-day uh, Jordan, southern Jordan. Well, David's son, Solomon, had used this territory that his father co- had conquered, Edom, as a launching point for new maritime trade during Solomon's reign to Arabia, Africa, and, and the Far East. Well, then, fast forward to a later point in time. The Edomites eventually get tired of Judaite rule, and they rebel against the king of Judah, who happens to be at this point, when they when they rebel against him, King Jehoram, who was Amaziah's great-grandfather. Edom rebelled, so we're, we're done. And they broke free, if you will, of Judahite rule. Well, at some point, after Amaziah becomes king, we don't know exactly when in his, in his reign, but at some point, he decides, I want Edom back. And he decides to attack Edom to regain that control of that land that historically had belonged, at least for a portion of time, to Judah. And we read of that in verses 11 and 12 here, now uh, of, of chapter 25. Now Amaziah strengthened himself and led his people forth and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 of the sons of Seir. And they are Edomites. That's the same thing. Sons of Seir are the Edomites. And then he did that very, you know, kind of gruesome thing that he did, pushing them all off the top of a cliff, or those that survived. Uh, they were pretty brutal back in that day. Anyway, so he ends up, succeeds in gaining back control of Edom. It's a decisive victory for Amaziah. Providentially given to him. Well, not too long after that providential victory 
over Edom, Amaziah decides to go on the warpath again. And this time, by provoking a fight with the king of Israel in the north. But this time, the outcome of the fight, the battle, is very different than the previous engagement with Edom. Amaziah loses, and he loses badly. So what's the explanation for this rather drastic change of fortune for Amaziah, from being victorious over the Edomites to all of a sudden losing badly to the king of Israel? And by the way, the the way I've structured this, I, I debated whether how to do this, whether to give you the reasons why Israel, Amaziah, uh, and Judah lost first, or to give you the account of them losing and then the reasons afterward. The text is structured, it gives you the reasons first, and then what actually happened. And so I, I decided to, to go with the order that God gave us here in the scriptures and do it that way. So that's why it's... I'm constructing it the way I have in terms of the the two points. What are those two points? Okay, uh, this is the explanation. So the the first point is the explanation for this uh, change of fortune for Amaziah. And fortune is I put that in quotes. I don't believe in fortune. I think you all know that. So two points: King Amaziah's defeat at the hands of his northern counterpart is explained. We found find this in verses fourteen through sixteen. That's the first point. And then, secondly, King Amaziah's defeat at the hands of his northern counterpart is recounted, and that's verses seventeen through the end of the chapter. So, first, his defeat at the hands of the king of Israel is explained. Well, who is this northern counterpart of his? This king of Israel. Well, he is a man who has the very same name as Amaziah's own father. Joash. Remember, Joash was the previous king, the really bad one. The king of the north is has the same name. It's King Joash. Actually, I don't like to call them kings because, again, they're really supposed to have, technically, the, their king is the king of the southern kingdom because they're in covenant with God. They're covenant breakers, but their actual king that they're supposed to recognize is the Judah, uh, the Davidic king, but they didn't. Uh, anyway, well, occasionally I'll call him the king, king of Israel. But anyway, his name is Joash. And he is the son of Jehoahaz, we're told, and the grandson of uh, Jehu. You may remember who Jehu is. Jehu was an important um, king or ruler in the northern kingdom of Israel that God had used years earlier to exterminate every male member of Ahab and Jezebel's household, including their son Jehoram, king of Israel, and their grandson, grandson Ahaziah, who I mentioned earlier, who was the king of Judah. We looked at that a couple months back. At any rate, that's who this Joash is. So when I say Joash, we're talking about the king of Israel, uh, and Amaziah is the king of Judah. Well, Joash, the ruler of the northern kingdom, is the target of Amaziah's ire uh, this second time around. First time was Edom, now it's uh, Israel. But instead of being victorious over his enemy, uh, on this occasion... Amaziah, as he recently was over Edom, Amaziah is now soundly defeated by the forces of the north. And we'll get to the details of that in the second point, but why is he defeated? What's the problem? God gave him victory over Edom. Because of, by the way, his obedience to the Lord. I'll say more about that in a little bit. 
But he was, that was back during the first half of his reign when he was, he was, he was more obedient to the Lord and more, more faithful, if we can put it that way, at that point. And he did something right, uh, after he did done something wrong and he corrected his mistake. That was, he hired, uh, northern, uh, mercenaries from Israel to help him fight the Edomites and God said through the prophet, don't do it, don't use them. I don't want you to have anything to do with the north. And he goes, okay, and he sent them home. And they came back and, uh, ran, uh, and kind of plundered Israel because they were mad. Um, at any rate, he did the right thing by sending them away, and the Lord gave him victory over the Edomites as a result. Well, not this time over Israel. Remember, Israel's wicked. He doesn't want, God didn't, you know. Well, why? Well, first of all, the text makes it pretty clear that the outcome was absolutely, perfectly clear that the outcome was no accident. This defeat was no accident. There is no such thing as an accident. We all know that. Tiki Farish used to say that all the time. They had an accident. No, they didn't. They had a wreck. Some of you might know Tiki. Um, it was no accident. And, uh, and we know this because the prophet whom God sent to rebuke Amaziah uh, had prophesied that he was going to be defeated. Which means that the Lord had decided ahead of time that that was going to happen, and he orchestrated that defeat even though it, in the text here, in verses 14 through 16, it hasn't occurred yet. Um, but it's a certainty that it's going to occur because God has decided it's going to happen. He's going to be defeated because of his previous disobedience, which we'll get into here in a moment. Um, well, well, let's get into it. There are two reasons why the Lord decides to punish Amaziah by means of his northern neighbor, the kingdom of Israel, and its king, Joash. What are those two reasons? Well, we learn the reasons, by the way, in the end of verse 16, after that prophet shows up and rebukes him for his worship of the um, Edomite gods, who who presumably were, you know, objects of stone or silver or something, uh, you know, riding on a on a little table that they were they hauled in, you know, on uh, acacia poles or something like that. At any rate. He gives two reasons, the prophet does, why he says, you're going to be destroyed, Amaziah. And the first reason is because Amaziah had, as I already said, worshipped the gods of Edom. False gods. And he had made them, the text says, his gods. This is a person who is in covenant with Yahweh, outwardly at least, uh, as, a, as an Israelite, as a descendant of um, Jacob. Uh, but he is um, worshipping, or worshipped rather, had just worshipped pagan gods. Objects of stone, lifeless objects of stone, silver, gold, whatever they were. Now, this may strike you as a little bit bizarre at first, that Amaziah would worship the gods of his, note this, defeated foe. He defeated the Edomites. Why is he worshipping their gods? Well, you have to understand something of the religious thinking of the peoples of the ancient Near East, including Israel and the nations that surrounded Israel. This was very common, not only um, uh, in, in their thinking, uh, the people of the ancient world and the ancient Near East, not only was a conquered king, or, excuse me, a conquering king's God, his own God that he worshipped, thought to have assisted him in his in defeating his foes. Not only did his God come to his aid, but in in the thinking of the ancient world, 
uh, his defeated opponents, God or gods, in this case Edom's, were thought to have abandoned the now vanquished enemy of his, Edom, and come to his aid. So that was kind of the twisted thinking that they had. Well, it wasn't just my God who helped out. Your gods also helped me conquer you because they, 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 your gods left you and came over to my side. And the usual way that a conquered nation's gods were shown to have abandoned that conquered nation was by transferring those gods out of the conquered nation and into the nation of the conquering king. So, transport from Edom to Judah. And the, uh, so the Edomite kings were almost certainly moved to Judah. Uh, I say almost certainly. It's a good chance. They were moved to Judah to visibly demonstrate the Edomite gods are now on my side. Uh, Amaziah speaking at this point. And his worship of these deities was probably his way of expressing his gratitude to them for having come to his aid. And the Lord is furious. This is rank covenant betrayal. Infidelity. And that's the first reason why the Lord sixth the king of Israel, who's a bad king, and his forces on the forces of uh, the south. There's a second reason that the prophet tells us about uh, in his, uh, and I'll eventually reread that, by the way. Uh, in fact, I'll read it in just a second. The second reason that they, uh, that the Lord allows Judah to be defeated and Amaziah is their king defeated is because he, Amaziah, refused to humbly accept God's rebuke of him for his idolatry and then properly respond to that rebuke by way of repentance. He didn't do that. What did he do? Let's read it again. So after, uh, so starting in verse 15, then the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people? This is like, this makes no sense, is the prophet's point and God's point. Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? And this was his response. This is the high-handed, you know, I can't believe you did this. Not only did you worship false gods, here's what he did. And it came about, as he was talking with him, as the prophet was talking with Amaziah, that the king said to him, Have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop. In other words, shut up. Why should you be struck down? Why should I have to kill you for continuing to talk to me about my wrongdoing? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you. Because you have done this. And the this is the idolatry. And the second thing, and have not listened to my counsel, which is repent. It implied. Or I don't want, or I don't want to hear anymore about 
you know, he didn't even get a chance to say, you need to repent of your sins, because uh, Amaziah said, don't say another word. And the Lord is furious. What should he have done? He should have immediately acknowledged um, what he had done, that it was rank idolatry, that there was no excuse for it, and then he should have humbly repented of it, said, oh, repent in dust and ashes, that kind of, you know, Lord, what have I done? I'm crazy. Forgive me. And, uh, and really grieve over uh, the offense that he had caused the Lord. And that's what he should have done. But what he does is he deliberately and brazenly defies the Lord and his authority over him as his covenant Lord by telling God's spokesman to zip it and then threatening to take his life if he keeps pestering him. I mean, it is high-handed rebellion. It is treachery of, of amongst the worst kind, it seems to me. Because there's God's spokesman. He know he knew it. I don't I don't care who you represent. I'm the king. Folks, this is exactly what you and I must not do. When the Lord calls out our sins by means of his word read or preached or our conscience speaking to us. But it's so easy to do. To just say, I don't want to hear it. But we must not. It's it's foolish in the extreme, not to mention dangerous. It's just foolish. And and evil too. I mean that most importantly, it's just evil. So let me ask you. Is there some area of your life that God disapproves of and has told you that he disapproves of it through his word um, or by means of your scripture-informed conscience said, you're doing wrong here. You've got to stop this. This is not, God disapproves. You need to repent. And you are still defying God's call for you to turn away from that sin. Is there any area in your life like that? Anybody here? Don't raise your hand. God is telling you through this text, repent. Don't persist in your sin or bad things will happen. Secondly, so we see the two reasons, his idolatry and his, his defiance of, uh, his, his repudiation of God's rebuke of him through the prophet. So King Amaziah is defeated at the hands of the northern kingdom, is explained, and now it's recounted. So it's kind of strange order here, but this is the way the Lord did it, so I'm okay, that's fine. So this is found in verses 17 and following. So Amaziah, what he does is, he challenges uh, Joash to battle. And that's what's going on in verse 17. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying to him, Come, let us face each other. 
And he doesn't mean for a cordial chat. He's talking about, let's militarily go at it. And we know that because he used the same phraseology down in verse 21 when when they faced each other and Israel got uh, got thrashed. I mean, uh, Judah got thrashed by Israel. That's what the face each other meant. And Joash is the one who, uh, I mean, excuse me, Amaziah is the one who's provoking Joash. It seems, by the way, this is an aside, but it's uh, it's not uh, it's not it's it's worth including. I think it seems likely that Amaziah's desire to go after the north and do battle with the north with the king of Israel uh, had something to do with that earlier incursion that I read about in verse thirteen into Judah of the mercenaries whom Amaziah had hired uh, previously mercenaries from Israel, who he had hired to help him in his battle with the Edomites before that battle took place. Well, he, after the Lord said, don't use those soldiers, through another prophet, uh, he was wise enough, at least at that point in time, to go, ooh, I better obey. And he, he just told those mercenaries, go home, I don't need you. Apparently that irritated them for reasons that we you know, can only speculate about. And they came back down uh, and uh, you know, kind of ransacked Judah, at least the, the portions of Judah, uh, because they were angry. Um, at any rate, uh, this his his going after the northern king may well have had something to do with that. It's just speculative, but it's probably it's a good guess. Anyway, he decides to fight against Joash, and he does this after consulting with certain chosen advi- advisors of his that he had chosen. Um, his counsel, if you will, his privy counsel. Sadly, he had just rejected uh, recently the godly counsel of the prophet of God who had just spoken to him in verse 16, we read about it, declaring um, that he, Amaziah, had never uh, appointed this prophet of Yahweh to be one of his counselors. I never, I never appointed you to advise me. I don't need your advice. I don't want your advice. And the fact that Amaziah readily listened to the advice of counselors that he had personally selected himself and not to the rebuke of God's prophet had the effect of compounding his guilt. I don't want God's counsel. I want counselors who will tickle my ears. Well, after receiving king, the king of Judah's communication to him, Amaziah's communication to him that he was spoiling for a fight, Joash, the king of, the, of Israel, sends his own message down to Judah. And it's a parable. It's a parable. What Joash does in this parable is he warns Amaziah, don't pick a fight with me. It won't go well. Let me just tell you briefly about the parable without uh, rereading the whole thing. I'll just point out what's going on here. In the parable, the thorn bush represents the king of Judah, Amaziah. And the thorn bush asks the cedar's daughter, uh, asks for the cedar's daughter's hand in marriage for his son. So this is kind of weird, but it's, it's the way, you know, 
parables kind of were done. And so the cedars asking for his son to have, a, excuse me, the, the thorn bush is asking for the cedar's daughter for his son, to marry his son. Well, the cedar's daughter represents Edom, which Amaziah had just recently conquered, as we just talked about. And so as the thorn bush, this is the conclusion of it, as the thorn bush is trying to secure the cedar's daughter for his son to marry, a wild beast appears and tramples the preoccupied thorn bush. So the wild um, beast or boar is Israel, Joash's nation, kingdom of the north, and the one being trampled again is the thorn bush is Judah. Because he's preoccupied in some sense with uh, Edom. So that's the, that's the parable. And then after relaying the parable, Joash then explicitly declares the point of the parable. And that's verse 19. So let me, I'll read verses 18 and 19 again. Um, and Joash the king of Israel sent to Amaziah king of Judah saying, the thorn bush, which was in Lebanon, uh, sent to the cedar, which was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. And then, and then that's the end of the parable, and then um, Joash says to Amaziah, You said, Behold, you have defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud. In boasting. Now stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble that you, even you, should fall and Judah with you? Amaziah's conquest of Edom had made the man proud. We read this over in the Second Kings account, chapter 14, verse uh, nine, where we understand his pride is linked to his victory over Edom. And remember, though, why was he victorious over Edom? He was victorious because Yahweh had given it to him as a reward for his wise decision to heed the warning of the, of the previous prophet that he'd sent to him. Don't use Israelite mercenaries. And he didn't. And yet God rewarded him by letting him beat the uh, Edomites. But Amaziah then lets that victory that God had given him go to his head. And apparently assumed it was his brilliance as a military leader or something like that. Who knows? And it was his pride-filled heart that induced him to play the harlot with the gods of Edom and to refuse to respond with contrition and repentance to the Lord's rebuke of him for his idolatry. It was his pride that did this. His love of self. His arrogance. Scripture regularly identifies pride, arrogance, same thing, as a frequent cause of spiritual infidelity by God's covenant people. Pride often makes us sin against the Lord. Just one, uh, I'll just 
one place where this is evident, and there are multiple places. But one is uh, Psalm 10, uh, verse 4, where we read, The wicked in the haughtiness, that's a synonym for pride, the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him, meaning the Lord. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now, the covenant person isn't going to say probably there is no God, but the covenant person, who at least gives lip service to being uh, having the Lord as his God, still may not seek the Lord because of his arrogance or her arrogance. Another example is found in Jeremiah chapter uh, forty-three. I will I will turn here. I was I was only going to do one. I think I'll do two. Jeremiah forty-three, verses one through three. And so, in addition to not seeking the Lord, this text, which is kind of a in some way almost saying the same thing, but not really. Jeremiah thirty-three. But it came about as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent had finished telling all the people of the words of the Lord their God, that is, all these words, that Azariah, the son of uh, Hoshea, and Jonahan, Jahanan, I should have practiced this ahead of time, uh, the son of Korea, and all the arrogant men said to uh, Jeremiah, and here's what they said, you are telling a lie. Remember, Jeremiah is delivering the word of the Lord to them. And these arrogant men say, you are telling us a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you are not to enter Egypt, to reside there. But And then he goes on. Arrogance makes us not listen to the word that God has given to us. And go, that doesn't apply to me, at least not at this moment. And we may not say that, in our heads, let alone with our mouths. But the attitude is there. Has it not been there for you? I know it's been there for me. Yeah. It's this sin. Self-love. Inordinate self-love. Pride. And it's something that God hates. Because it's idolatry by another name. It's a You've made yourself God. And that this is, in fact, the case is evidence in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, among other places where we read, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. That's the Lord personified as wisdom speaking there. Pride and arrogance I hate. Amos Chapter 6, verse 8 makes the same point. God hates pride. Loathes it. There's an excellent uh, example of God's detesting of it, detestation of it over in uh, chapter 2 of Isaiah. I'd commend it to you later today when you get some time. And isn't it something that we all have? We all have that lurking desire to make ourselves the center of our the universe. Everything else has to revolve around me because I am I am God. I am most important here. And it's insidious wickedness. And we've all got it. That's what that's what Adam was doing when he bit into the fruit. 
Ironically, it is Joash, the reprobate king of Israel, the God-hating king of Israel, who is depicted by the Holy Spirit, speaking through the chronicler here, as the wise and, dare I say, even righteous king on this occasion. He's the very least wise and, in some sense, almost righteous in comparison to Amaziah. Full of irony, dripping with it. Well, Amaziah foolishly and evilly refuses Joash's warnings and is soundly defeated in his battle against Joash as a result of that refusal to bow the knee to the Lord. We read of this in verses 20 through 24. I'll just note, um, without recounting, it's, if you read it, oh, I'll just read it after I find it. Um, and Amaziah would not listen, for it was from the Lord, from God rather, and he that he might deliver them. So not just Amaziah, but the people also followed him in his sin, as so often was the case, that he might deliver them into the hands of Joash because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, uh, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Amaziah, and they fled each to his tent, uh, then Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, who, by the way, that's another name for Ahaziah, uh, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, so to his own capital. The king of Israel brought Amaziah, uh, Amaziah to his own capital, Jerusalem, and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. Notice Amaziah's refusal to listen to Joash's sage advice was from God. This is one example, one of many, of this truth. Amaziah was responsible for his sinful choices. And what they produced, the consequences of them, yet God decreed it. God wasn't responsible for the sin. But this sinful man made his sinful choices and God had decided that this would happen ahead of time and that he would experience the very unpleasant consequences of his rebellion against the Lord, including being murdered that we read of in the last, uh, the last couple of verses of the chapter. Takeaways from this. I think they're pretty obvious, but I'll just kind of restate them um, briefly. What can we learn from the fact that bad things happened to Amaziah? First of all, on account of his brazen refusal to repent of his sin after being rebuked by the Lord. Well, what we can learn from that is when God's people, covenant people, who claim him, foolishly choose to act like Amaziah in this regard by refusing to repent when the Lord is pressing on him, you're in sin, turn from it. We are asking for God to discipline us if we do that, to discipline us if we are backsliding believers, actually in covenant in the heart, we actually belong to the Lord. 
or to punish us if we're unbelieving pretenders to love him. You're, you're inviting the Lord to cause you to experience bad things. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. The believer is disciplined, the unbeliever is punished. But neither one, neither of those things is a good thing. Don't, don't refuse to repent of sin when the Lord is pressing on your conscience. Don't do it. It won't go well. What can we learn from the fact that bad things happened to Amaziah on account of his flagrant worship of other gods? Well, when God's covenant people worship other gods, which we do regularly, might add, they're just not stone, we are likewise asking God to, in effect, discipline us if we are his people or punish us if we are just pretenders to the faith. God will not abide by our idolatry. He just won't. He says, I am to be your first love. That's, that's it. No rivals. I will countenance no, no rivals. And of course, our idols take the form of entertainment, jobs, spouses, children, parents, um, money. Those are the modern idols. Entertainment is one that in recent months I've been realizing that is a huge idol for so many American Christians, including yours truly, if left to our own devices. Get rid of your idols. If you've got an idol, get rid of it. You'll have to keep getting rid of it over and over and over again, but keep doing that. And then finally, let me just say this in closing. Every one of us has foolishly done what Amaziah did on both counts. And we will assuredly do it again if given enough time. Every one of us will be Amaziah's for a time. But the glorious news is that our God happily and graciously forgives the contrite, penitent child of his over and over and over again. All we must do is say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm done with whatever it is. Pride, uh, selfishness, uh, disrespect of uh, authorities, um, love of... In a, uh, un, unwholesome entertainments, whatever. You just say, no, I, I'm done. I'm done. Lord, give me the grace to actually be done. If you come to him that way, he is happy to forgive you over and over and over and over again. Doesn't mean you should plan on that happening over and over and over and over again and, you know, uh, and using that as a license to sin, but 
He forgives us over and over. And I'll just end with this verse. I was reminded of it as I was finishing up this sermon. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Amen. Let's pray.